Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. When I was a youngster, back in the day, my grandmother subscribed me to a CD club, and you would get a CD a month or whatever, and uh, some of the CDs I would get were religious. I remember getting the wild Christian hits of the of whatever year it was. And there were a few CDs from a gentleman named John Michael Talbot, and he is probably one of the greatest names in Catholic music. He has had a career spanning many, many decades, and one of his popular hymns is Holy is His Name, a song that is the words of Mary from the Magnificat. His music has bridged Catholics and Protestants in worship, and he is a phenomenal uh, inspiration, I think, to all artists out there. And today, I have the great honor to speak with him. And it was interesting. I saw someone post on Facebook his book, Holy is His Name. It was a new book. I think they were maybe the copy editor. And I, immediately, I said, I want to interview him about this. And they were able to make it happen. So here we are today. And I'd like to thank you, John Michael Talbot, for joining me today on How They Love Mary to talk about your beautiful song and book. Well, I am I am honored that you would allow me to to come on to your podcast, Father. Thank you so much. And I think, you know, one of the first things I've always been curious, I kind of get it, but I don't understand in a sense. And it's kind of about your vocation. So, you're a Catholic musician, that's part of your vocation, but you're also a husband, but you live in a yeah. religious community. You live with the brothers and sisters of charity. Yeah, we're an integrated monastic community. I had a vision. I'm not a visionary, but God has given me some visions on occasion. And uh, one of those was of a community of, of men and women and even children in 1971, long before I became a Catholic. And it was the most beautiful vision of community I'd ever seen. I didn't know how to do it. And when it faded, I said, well, God, what am I supposed to do? And he, he said, it was Jesus. He said, stay in music, and I'll open and shut the doors. And he did. And then he gave me, it's a long and winding road, as, as Paul McCartney sang, of how it unfolded. But the long and short of it is, I ended up with a bunch of Franciscans in Indianapolis, Indiana, and they taught me about community living. And I was had been part of the Jesus movement and the charismatic renewal outside of Catholicism prior to that, you know, was steeped in the scriptures, you know, memorized scriptures, had, you know, just knew it inside out and backwards. But the authority of scripture came out of the authority of the church, and I kind of chased that rabbit, and I became a Catholic in 1978, moved into the Franciscan uh, uh Center in Indianapolis, Indiana. It's now gone, but back then it was called Alverna Franciscan Center. And uh, uh, they allowed me to kind of pursue my dream there under their tutelage, and they helped me out. People began coming. I moved into a hermitage. All I ever really wanted to be was a Franciscan hermit. But we outgrew the facility. We were welcomed down here in Arkansas by Bishop Andrew McDonald in uh, 1982, so uh, um, moved down here on some land I had from when I played a rock festival, a folk rock festival, with oh, all kinds of people, uh, 
Earl Scruggs and the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band and kind of all those folks with the band I was in. And uh, the land didn't sell when I sold everything I had and gave it to the poor. So my spiritual father said, well, maybe God wants you to use that. So we came down here, settled, and slowly the community was birthed and it unfolded. It was too big to fit into any one existing category, be it within the Franciscan family or the, you know, the Benedictine family, uh, Carmelite family, any, any existing family, because it included celibate men, celibate women, singles, and families. So uh, we were encouraged to start a new community, and we did under the uh, helpful guidance of Bishop Andrew McDonald, and uh, it, it started at a public association of the faithful in the Diocese of Little Rock, which we still are. And we're called the Brothers and Sisters of Charity at Little Portion Hermitage and Monastery. And so we have a celibate brotherhood, a celibate sisterhood, singles who can marry, and families. And then we have domestics who live in their own homes uh, around the country, some in other countries. And some of them live in clusters, like cluster communities up in hmm. Chicago, for instance. And we also have domestics now in residence here at the monastery. That's kind of a new development. We're seeing how that works out. But they are able to kind of come and go more freely. Uh, but they help out with work, and they're, they're a vibrant part of the local community here. So it's... Uh, uh, the new communities in Europe are integrated like this. Uh, probably the biggest one was the community of the Beatitudes. We are the only community of our kind in the United States hmm. that's indigenous to the United States. So we're rather unique in the United States. And, and the United States is, is rather unique in the Catholic Church anyway. Yeah, definitely. And how many uh, brothers and sisters do you have living down there in Arkansas in community? We're, we're small. We're only 18 now. But we're, we're lower than we've been. We've had as many as 50. And we haven't had any new locations since COVID hit. And like most monastic communities in the United States, uh, we need vocations. So everybody loves to come to monasteries, make retreats at monasteries, affiliate with monasteries, but not a lot of people want to join them. And in the history of the Catholic Church, monasteries have always been the contemplative, beating, mystical heart of the Church. But unless people actually join them here in the United States, you know, in the next generation or two, they're going to disappear. Hmm. So we need men and women, and right now we're pushing this real hard, celibate men and women to come and join us. And it is a unique vocation, but it is the, it has always been considered the heart of the Catholic faith. It is the mystical, contemplative, beating heart of the Church. It pumps the blood out to the more active vocations in the Church, for instance, like yours, Father Ed, you know, the diocesan priesthood, where you guys are busy all the time. But you need those contemplative, uh, praying members 
And then we also have active orders in, in the Catholic Church and lay people who are doing active ministry. So it's those, it's those folks in the wilderness, in the hermitages, in the monasteries, sacrificing, praying their hearts out in unseen ways who are often, you know, sending, as it were, that blood of Christ in the Holy Spirit out to give spiritual strength to those doing the active ministry, and also saving souls through their life of prayer in ways beyond what we can even imagine. I, I mean, I tell our folks here all the time, you know, when you do that extra sacrifice for Christ, you have no idea who you're saving. You have no idea. Padre Pio, Padre Pio even went so far, and this is mind-blowing, to say, this, I mean, Father, this blows my mind, that our sacrifice is now, because in God, He is eternal. So our sacrifices now can even have an effect on people needing salvation in the past. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that amazing that, that we can even have an effect on somebody in the past in ways beyond what we can expect or even imagine? God is just so wonderful. I value monasteries myself. I was trained by Benedictine monks at Conception Abbey in Missouri. So I'm very yeah. familiar with monasteries and praying in community and everything like that. And I'm always enriched when I go back to Conception or I go to a religious community. So I really do value them, as you mentioned, uh, how, how much well, they give to here, the church. Father Ed. I believe that, that Little Portion Hermitage and Monastery is the undiscovered jewel of North America. Our place is absolutely gorgeous. And when people come, we have bishops that come here just to hide away. We find them in our chapel, you know, sure. and they come, they come here unannounced, usually in civilian clothes. They take their collars off because they don't want to be noticed and they don't want to be besieged by people. And they come here just to hide and to pray, because it's such a beautiful place, and it's such a holy place. So come, come. And we, we have retreats here. Uh, you know, I give retreats here, and we have people come and visit here and make day visits, and then make, make retreats here as well. We, we have people come here and make retreats. So we need, you know, we need folks to come and discover this hidden jewel of the Ozarks and this hidden jewel of North America. So I'll, that's a little about our community, Father Ed. Yeah, that's great. I would love to come check it out. And I think now I probably will because of our conversation uh, today. Now, you've been involved in music for a very long time. This has been your career. And so as a monastic then, you've been able to really sing the praises of God how did you discover your musical talent? And then, you know, you were with Sparrow Records, and then you founded your own label. But how did that come to be? And how did you recognize that gift? Well, I, I, I've been a musician since I was eight. And right now I'm 68 going on 69. So it's been 60 years. Uh, I started playing professionally when I was 12. Uh, or excuse me, 10. Uh, we had our our... our first success when I was 12, 
our first national success when I was 15. Um, you know, I got out of secular music, ended up with Sparrow Records at the beginning of Christian contemporary music. Uh, how old was I then? I was probably, what, uh, 21 or so. Ended up in Catholic music by mistake because I became a Catholic and I thought I was going to just go into a hermitage and disappear. And I did one final record that I thought was my swan song called The Lord's Supper, which, by the way, I'm doing a new book on liturgy called The Lord's Supper, a Eucharistic Revival. Um, and it's a little walk-through retreat similar to the one on Mary that I just wrote. And, and, uh, and I thought nobody would buy it because, you know, evangelicals, I thought, well, they're, they're going to hate this. <laughs> well, they loved it. It became the biggest record in Christian music that year, hmm. and it forced me back out into the musical world and I ended up having the most success in music I'd ever had after I became a Catholic. And I sold millions and millions of records. And, you know, uh, so that's how I got involved in music. But as a, as a sacred music artist, and I don't consider myself a liturgical musician, I consider myself a sacred music uh, artist who has music that spills over into liturgy, but most of it is used for, really, for quiet time. And so I've discovered this thing that you have to find God's music in the space between the notes, and you hear God's word between the lyrics, between the words, and that's how the music that we hear is empowered, and that's how the lyrics, the words that we sing, are empowered. That's how they become powerful. So, and at this point in my life, I'm still making music, but, I mean, I've done how many records now? 57, 58. I have, a, I have a, some new music I'm working on, but, I mean... <laughs> Uh, how much, how much music can I really, how much more music do I really need to make? At this point, I think most folks, uh, I think the catalog of, of my music is what I'm going to be remembered for. When I first started, Phil Perkins told me, my, my producer, he said, John, as long as you're popular, put out a record every, oh, 12 to 18 months and, and do that as long as you're popular. So I did. And he says, you will be remembered for maybe two or three or four songs when, when you're, when you're finished. And that's proven to pretty well be true. Um, and the songs that you're remembered for are always surprises. Uh, Holy is his name, for instance, Father Ed, is, was a surprise. I, I, I added it on to a ballet, music for a ballet that I had written for a, a sacred dance troupe in Indianapolis, Indiana, called uh, Hosanna Sacred Dance. Um, they were a, a non-Catholic sacred dance troupe. And they asked me to write some music, so I did. 
and it's on a record called For the Bride. And if you listen to it, you can realize that it's really a, it's a, it's a musical piece for ballet. <laughs> and, and I wrote Holy is His Name. I thought, well, you know, and I used Song of Songs and uh, some of the spousal mysticism texts from Scripture. And I thought, well, gosh, I've got to put something on here about Mary. And so I took the Magnificat and, and uh, added it on. And, and then I thought, well, I've, I've got to have a woman sing on this. So I, I, I took a woman, uh, a female artist who I really respected. Her name was Jamie Owens. She, she ended up being the wife of my producer. Uh, she's now Jamie Owens Collins angelic voice and she sang the chorus and we put that on the record and it ended up being the song that everybody loved not only off that record but off many of my records so if i don't sing that song when i go out and do a concert people throw tomatoes at me now (laughs) Mm. and uh you know and there's a few others but you never know what songs the people of God are going to love. You just never know. And record companies, they don't know what songs are going to be hit. They can guess, but they really never know what songs are going to are going to catch. And the same thing is true with Christian music. You never know what songs people are going to like. And in Christian music, that's really a matter of the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit going to do? So I, I look at Holy is His Name, and I go, I don't know. It's just one of those songs. It's one of those surprises. Uh, and that's how that's how my musical ministry has been with me. It's always been a surprise. You know, the big things have always been God's surprises for me. In the Gospels, the disciples asked Jesus, you know, teach us how to pray. And so he taught them the Our Father. And I think the genius of the Magnificat is, in a sense, it's Mary who is our mother, who is teaching us language of prayer as well. Of course, it's a paraphrase in a sense of Hannah's song from the Old Testament, but Mary makes it her own. And so now we repeat this prayer. And as Priests and religious and deacons and the lay faithful pray the liturgy of the hours. And it's every evening we recite these words, you know, uh, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. We say that every day. The church echoes this hymn. So it's a, a very special, a very powerful prayer in the liturgical life of the church and just in general as well. What do you think is the significance of the Magnificat? Oh, goodness. I mean, I write a whole book on it, and basically the book is, people have been asking me to write this book for decades, and I don't know why I didn't, but I didn't. And finally I did, and I did, and so far people have really, really responded well to it. They really enjoy it. But I tend to break it down kind of as a Lexio Divina, a sacred reading, where you go through word by word and meditate on each word. It's a very powerful prayer. 
you know, we pray it, as you said, in the Roman Liturgy of the Hours, in evening prayer. In Eastern Catholicism, they pray it uh, in Matins, or what we would call the Office of Readings, or, or vig- the Vigil Service. So it's always been prayed east and west ever since the beginning, you know. So it's very important. Just the few first few words, I think, are extremely powerful. You know, the word my, it sounds so simple, but my soul. So the first thing Mary is saying is our encounter with the Lord is personal. You know, it's not just intellectual. It's my soul. It goes deep. It drops from the head, really, to the noose, to the spiritual mind. Um, it goes. It goes from the head to the heart. Uh, the, the, of course, the word for soul is suke, which we get psychology, but it's really deeper than that. It, it goes, and it's mine. So, you know, Pope Francis began his pontificate by saying, I, I invite every every Christian at this very moment to a renewed personal encounter with Jesus Christ. I always laugh. I say he sounds like a Baptist, <laughs> mm. but he's a Jesuit, <laughs> which means he's very smart. But further on in that apostolic letter, he always couches that in a in a communal setting. So he's not giving way to some kind of individual. So it's my. So she's saying my soul. So Mary wants us to have a personal encounter with the Lord, my soul. And the next word is proclaims. We say that in evening prayer. The, as you know, magaluno is the Greek word. It means to magnify. And the word Lord is a, really, it goes back to the tetragrammaton in the Hebrew, which means, and that's there to say that God is beyond what we can think, therefore he's beyond what we can say. So how do you... God is therefore infinite. God is beyond what we can conceptualize or even think. He's huge. So how do you magnify the infinite? To me, this is just mind-blowing. So Mary is saying, right at the beginning of the Magnificat, my, my soul, my deepest being, magnifies like like a telescope the lord the infinite mm. wow so that's what she is doing when she brings jesus into her you know into the into her womb the second person of the trinity the son of god into her womb through the holy spirit overshadowing her and as St. Bonaventure says, you know, the infinite is now within the finite. You know, 
this is this is totally paradoxical. This is beyond. This takes us beyond what we can fathom with our minds. This becomes the stuff of pure mystery and and just profound. It's mysticism, Father Ed. And the only thing we can do is pure love. It's pure love, God's love for us. You know, it's it's Philippians two, the Philippians canticle. And we, because Mary is the mother of the church, the faithful, and the model of the faithful, the model of the church, <laughs> we are also supposed to magnify the Lord. My soul is to magnify the Lord. St. Bonaventure is very clear, as is all the mystics. We are to give birth to Jesus. I just read it yesterday in the brothers' class with St. Francis of Assisi. We become the mothers of Jesus. You know, when we bring him into our life through the Holy Spirit and give birth to him through our good works. What a marvel that is. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, it's an incredible. Yeah. Aren't you, aren't you, I mean, I say these words and I'm absolutely awestruck. I'm floored by this reality. And that's, Mary brings these realities to us as she prays this Magnificat. And as we meditate on them and sing them or read them in the book I'm right, I have, this is what we meditate on. And these are powerful, powerful truths and mysteries and outpourings of God's love for us. You know, Mary is important because Jesus is more important. Mary always points to Jesus. She is magnified by uh, by us. We exalt her because she is so humble, right? Mm -hmm. And, And that comes out all through the Magnificat. She is the humble one, and it's because of that that her name will be forever exalted. She is the most humble of all the saints. And they were all humble, but there was no one like Mary. And therefore, she that's why she is the Queen of Heaven. That's why she is exalted among all the saints. We give God, what, Latria, in Latin, and we give the saints dulia, but we give Mary hyperdulia. Mary is the saint on steroids. Mm. <laughs> She's the saint of saints. So, you know, I bring this out in the book and in my retreats that I do uh, on the book, which are coming up, by the way. If, if you're, any of your people want to sign up, please sign up. And I also... Uh, I have the Inner Room School of Spirituality, and we are we have the uh, online version of that course that is now, we are now offering that as well. So please sign up for that if anybody's interested. Mike Zabrocki just, I, I teach online, and Mike Zabrocki does a great post-production uh, work with the, with the online presentations. So you go through the book, and then we have the online school as well. 
and that'll help us go through the rest of the Magnificat. You've taken us through two words of the Magnificat, or three, my soul proclaims or magnifies. And there's so much richness there because the Magnificat talks about you know, Mary, in a sense, saying, all generations will call me blessed. And here we are, we pray, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. And so we do call her blessed to this very day. And she talks about the mercy of God. His mercy is on those who fear him. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. So there is so much richness in the Magnificat. And what I love, as you bring it out in your book, is we, we need to understand what it is that we pray, that as we recite these words, as we pray them to Almighty God, that we know what we're saying. And so that this prayer can really become new for all of us as we uh, pray it, as we sing it with your song, Holy is His Name. So it, it's a marvelous prayer that Our Lady spoke, and now we get to speak and praise God with her as well. Amen. So, Amen. I mean, writing the book, writing the book was a, I really had fun doing it because I love to do word studies. And, you know, I pray this prayer every day, right? Like you do. But doing that word study, it was like, wow, yes. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> so, it's a powerful prayer. How do you think an ordinary person can really adapt or adopt, I guess, the Magnificat in their daily life? In a sense, to be a living Magnificat, how could someone just make this prayer and really exude it in their whole being every single day? Well, I don't think there's any difference at all between you as a priest or me as a monastic and an ordinary person. I think we all have the same challenges, because, you know, guess what? A priest is an ordinary person. A monastic is an ordinary person. Monasteries are extraordinary places made up of very ordinary people doing very ordinary things. You know, we have, you know, they're up there today uh, baking our <laughs> baking in the bakery for a little portion bakery. You know, we have our St. Clair uh, sale going on today, Um so they have to bake in the bakery. Everybody has ordinary stuff they have to do, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's any big difference, and we all have the gifts of the Holy Spirit available to us. We just we just live out our we live out our ministries in different ways. Um, so I think I think the challenge is just to pray the prayer. And then for me, I'll just speak for myself, Father Ed, and this is true with the entire Liturgy of the Hours. You know, we pray the same prayer day in and day out, day in and day out, you know, for 50 years. And But there's always something new. Even though it's the same words every day, there's always something new that the Holy Spirit brings to my mind and to my heart as I pray that prayer. There's always a line, a word, a sentiment, uh, and those are sentiments that are brought up by the Spirit of God that make it new. And then I carry that out into the day. So different parts of the prayer are 
are what we take into our day as we pray the prayer. It doesn't take that long to pray the Magnificat. You know, it, it literally only takes a few minutes, you know, three or four minutes to pray the prayer. So I don't think anybody has the excuse, I don't have the time to pray that prayer. I think everybody's got the time to pray that prayer if they want to. It's just a matter, do you want to do it or not? So that excuse is gone. Uh, everybody has the time to pray that prayer. The question is, is are we open to the Holy Spirit? What part of that prayer is going to speak to us every day? And do we do we take what the Holy Spirit has spoken to us, you know, into the day? And, and if we pray it in the evening, like we do in the Liturgy of the Hours, what part of that prayer is going to take what's happened through the day and kind of wrap it up and put closure to it as we go into the evening? It's really a, a beautiful prayer. It's a summation. And at the close of the day, we're able to give praise to God for what he has done for us and to remember the mercy that he has shown us throughout the day. So you've broken the Magnificat down in your book, Holy is His Name, A Journey Through Mary's Magnificat. If people want to get a copy of the book, where can they go and find it? Oh, my. Uh, well, if they go to my website, johnmicheltalbot.com, and uh, they will see that there, I believe, on that site, it says store, and they can go right there and they can they can find their way to my books. I think that might even be on the front page at this point in time. Uh, and, you know, they can go right there, or they can call the monastery, here at 479-253-7710, and somebody during work hours will answer the phone and be happy to take your order. So, uh, you know, we we are we have our own production house here, so uh, that's the best way to get it. I think you can get a Kindle version through Amazon.com, but... Between you and me and the hole in the wall and your listeners, we do better if you drive, if you buy directly from us. <laughs> yeah, definitely. As a person who writes books, I understand that as well. So, uh, you know, to maybe as a parting uh, recommendation, if someone wants to go and listen to a song of yours, which song, beside Holy is His Name, would you recommend that they go and they find and listen to? Hmm. Uh well, off my, you know, I mean, in light of the title of your show, uh, and remind me of the title again, Father. How it's They called, Love Mary. How They Love Mary. I have a new recording out called Songs from Solitude. And one of the Marian prayers in, in, that we pray with the rosary is, Oh My Jesus. And that prayer became very powerful and personal to me when I went through sickness about five and a half years ago. And I won't tell you the whole story here, but I put it to music. It's extraordinarily simple. I recorded it while in the height of the first outbreak of COVID, so we couldn't put any orchestra on it. It's just me and my guitar and vocals. It's stripped bare. 
But I sang that song uh, crying out, Oh, my Jesus. And there is a lot of heart in that song. So that's a very, it's related to the rosary, and your listeners might like that. Beyond that, some of my favorite, are some of the favorite songs or things like Only in God, Psalm 62. People really like that song, or Come Worship the Lord. Oh, yeah, that one's nice. Uh, yeah. Um, and, of course, St. Teresa's Prayer, Christ has no body now but yours. People love that. Surrender to Jesus. Those are all very, very popular songs out of my catalog. Yeah. And, of course, I am, and I am the bread of life. People love that. I also remember The Cry of the Poor. That was a beautiful one, a rendition of that oh, psalm. Uh, I, I often yeah. uh, sing that one in my head sometimes or think about it, especially when it's recited at liturgy. And then there's also, um, I don't know the name of it, but you have a song where it's like about the potter's hand or something like that. Am I wrong, mistaken? No, I'll tell you, one of the surprises that God gave me was OCP, Oregon Catholic Press, begged me for years to take their most popular copyright and to record them, and I resisted doing it. And finally I said, oh, okay. So I put out a record called Table of Plenty, And it has proven in streaming to be the most popular streaming songs that I have ever done. And, uh, you know, I stream over a million songs every month, and they're primarily from those Catholic, favorite Catholic, uh, kind of St. Louis Jesuit-type songs. And uh, so there again, God surprised me. They're not my songs, but people think I wrote them, and it might have been in that collection. I only sang them long enough to record them, and I never sing them otherwise. Understood. <laughs> well, wonderful. Isles, uh, you know, I hope people go out and they go to Spotify or YouTube Music or wherever they listen to music and find your songs, and then also to praise God through the words of Mary Holy is his name. So thanks so much, John Michael Talbot, for joining me today. Uh, You've been an icon of Catholic music for me and for so many others, and it was great just to be able to talk with you about your music and about this beautiful song uh, that is one for the ages. So, so Father, I'm going to leave your listeners with three things. For those interested in a monastic vocation, please come and make a candidacy here at Brothers and Sisters of Charity at Little Portion Hermitage and Monastery. For those interested in a retreat, please come and make a retreat with us. We'd love to welcome you. Uh, Please come and uh, join our online school. Buy the book. We'd love to have you do that. And also check out Little Portion Bakery. These are all ways that we support our community, the Brothers and Sisters of Charity at Little Portion Hermitage and Monastery. And without your help, we can't keep going. So please support us with your prayers and uh, just any way you can. And we're here praying for you guys. We pray our hearts out for the church, for the whole church, for our priests, and for the salvation of the world. 
And I'll add a plug for the Little Portion Bakery. There was some project I worked on. I, I don't know if it was with a publishing house or whoever, but as a, a thank you, they sent me a box that came from the Little Portion Bakery. And so I had some of the delightful treats that you produce and offer. So definitely worth checking out. And uh, thanks again so much for being with me. Thank you, Father Ed. You are a delight, and I am I am humbly honored that you would allow me to come on your podcast. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit exalts in God my Savior, for He has looked done.